Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. How'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Facts. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 22, the Deuce Staley edition of the Grease Pole Podcast, a special Friday episode. Appreciate you taking part. In the ride, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Greasepole Podcast. All episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, and review. Give it five stars if you think it deserves five stars. If you think if you think it deserves one star, give it one star. Whatever whatever you feel, but any input's better than none. Uh, appreciate you taking part in this episode. It is no secret, obviously, we're. The only first world country still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's affected everybody uh, this entire time, really. It hadn't, it's set home for me, but it's really hit this weekend because at this time right now, if it weren't for this, I would be making my way up 95 North uh, to get weird at the link on Sunday for the Birds and Bengals game. But since that's not the case, there is nowhere else I would rather be than here having a conversation, joining me is my guy, Frank LaPlaca, host of the Unofficial Bengals podcast, joins me on the pod. Frank, how are you today, man? All right, Corey. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Absolutely, brother. Glad to have you, man. And it's one of those deals coming into this coming into this week, as we've discussed, it's, it's frustrating when you're not even in October and you're already staring your season's mortality in the face. We're both 0-2. Statistically, 0-3 does not see the playoffs. If I were to just on the surface to you go, okay, Bengals birds on Sunday. Initial thoughts when one o'clock rolls around. What do you got? All right. First off, Corey, I'm right there with you, man. All summer, all pandemic. All I wanted was for this season to start. Right. Season starts. We go down two games. We're in danger of being out of the mix in September. It's it's crazy. It's just crazy how this could go. So I hear you on that. There's a lot of desperation going into this game. Now, as a Bengals fan. I'm going to say that we win this game. I know you guys are struggling. I think that we're kind of on the rise. I think Joe Burrow kind of found himself in the second half of the first game and had a great second week. And you have some vulnerabilities on your offensive line. (laughs) So my prediction is it's just going to be a score fest for both teams. And I'm just hoping that Joe Burrow can outscore you guys. I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll dive into the details. I, on the surface, man, I agree with you 100% though. Not going to lie. I know my fandom should say otherwise, but I'm, I'm, transparent if nothing else so on the surface I 100% agree with you I've got to ask man because you guys have not had I mean Andy Dalton was Andy Dalton was serviceable I think there was a time where maybe he was the type of guy maybe you could have won a Super Bowl with he got you to five uh, consecutive playoffs but Carson Palmer was many many years ago before that there were Achilles Smiths Jeff Blakes David Klingler's things of that nature guys like that how does it feel as a Bengals fan to finally have the guy in Joe Burrow yeah, Corey, I got to say, it's exciting to have someone like Joe Burrow. And if you follow Joe Burrow's story from the beginning, 
I mean, he was at Ohio State. He was basically a tackling dummy. And then they said that Haskins was going to start over him. So he transfers to LSU. First year has kind of a pedestrian season. Second year wins the championship. Heisman Trophy. So, and then if you listen to his Heisman Trophy speech, he was so eloquent. He's thanking, you know, he's, he's paying homage to the poor people of Ohio. Like, that's something that's very likable about him. And he has that that almost like that Peyton Manning quality where even if you're on other teams and root for other teams, you don't really hate on a guy like this. And that's the way he is. It's all about hard work. And, you know, I mean, he watched the draft in, in the basement with his parents. He wasn't out there partying, acting like a hot shot. When they were interviewing him after the draft, you know, he was saying, I just want to get to work. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned about Hollywood or being a celebrity. He just wants to play football. And then, you know, he, before training camp starts, he says a lot of really cool things. Like they ask him, what player hit you the hardest in your life? And he's like, I would never give someone that satisfaction. You know, stuff like that. They ask him if there's anyone in the NFL that he looks up to. He says, I don't want to put anyone on a pedestal. I'm their peer now. I don't want to lose any kind of advantage. You know, like, that's all business. You know, and then he's like, I, I want to, I'm not here to go 50, I'm not here to go 500 and squeak into the playoffs. I'm here to win championships. So he has that kind of mindset that's really likable and focused. And he's, you know, you can tell he believes in himself, but he's still likable and not co- like a cocky jerk. So in that regard, it's someone that you root for, right? And then training camp starts and he wins over the locker room. You know, the, he's these older, you know, older, older players, younger players, they're all saying, this is the guy. This is someone that we want to follow because he came in and led by example. He worked as hard as anyone. He knows the playbook better than anyone. And all he cares about is winning and playing football. So coming into the season, you're like, wow, everything is likable about this guy. I'll be honest with you. He's my favorite NFL player right now. I know he's only (laughs) played two games, but just the whole backstory, everything that he's done up to this point. And then he gets in the first game against the Chargers. First throw was a, I think he threw a quick out to Mixon. Third, second throw was a third down, really bad overthrow. And you're like, all right, all right. You know, you could tell the jitters were there. By the second half of that game, he was dialed in. Yep. He was taking us downfield in that last drive like like a Tom Brady type. Like you just knew he was going to succeed on every pass. You weren't expecting an interception. You if there was an incomplete, you were shocked. Like that's how dialed in he was. And that was it was like the light came on after halftime of the first game of the year. You know, and there's still teams out there like, let's be honest, like the Jets. With Sam Darnold, I mean, you know, three, four, I don't know how many years he's been in the league, but a couple of years, and they're still making excuses and still waiting for the light to come on. Right. You know right away. You guys knew right away when you had Carson Wentz that he could play. I knew right away when we had Achilles Smith that he couldn't play. <laughs> you know, this stuff is, is obvious. So you go into the second game against the Browns. They're killing us on the offensive line. Our offensive line was porous. I'm worried against you guys. We'll talk about that later. But he was getting eaten up on every play. And if you look at his stature, he's, he's, a, he's 6'4", 220, they say. You know those specs are always slightly exaggerated. Yep. But he's got long legs, long skinny legs. He's a younger guy. He hasn't filled out yet. So what was going on in that game? Yeah, he took some big hits. He took some hits that are like collarbone-breaking hits. No problem. Survive. Bounce back. He's young. He's pliable. Good. But the, the hits that were bothering me was when a defensive end or, or a heavy linebacker was pulling on the top of his body. And he, with, with his fight, I mean, this guy just wants to win. He's crazy like that. He's super competitive. He doesn't want to go down. He wants to win. He, he has that toughness. So he, he's not, he doesn't want to go down. 
and he's getting pulled down awkwardly. And that's the problem. There was literally three plays against the Browns where I saw his like lower leg bend in a weird way. You know how you you've seen it, Corey. Yep. You don't like when you see one of your guys' legs bend like that. Yep. And I saw it happen a couple times against the Browns, and I'm like, oh my god, is he hurt? He gets up, he's fine, thank God. But we can't continue like this. So that's what's happening against the Browns. He's getting pounded on every snap, but he's like a point guard. They're putting five receivers out there. He's just finding the open guy as quickly as possible on every play. Accurate throws. Throws that are, le- that are leading receivers and enabling them to, do- them to do something after the catch. Like, really good accuracy, really good ball placement, really good velocity. So those are the things that you need to be a good NFL quarterback. So that's what he was doing against the Browns. And then, obviously, you know the result. We scored a lot of points. We didn't win the game. The defense was really bad, period. The offensive line was really bad, period. You're not going to win a lot of games like that. And then after the game, he says, my offensive line played great. I kind of wish he didn't say that because everyone in the world knows that that's not true. (laughs) But he didn't want to point any fingers. You know, like, you know, that was a little bit of a a young thing. Like, yeah, you know, like a little bit immature. Like, I'm just going to say the right thing. I get it. But that's where he's at. He's not going to expose anyone like that. And that's how Joe Mixon is, too. You know, Joe Mixon was getting eaten up that game. Every play, he was getting hit before he could hit a hole. And forget about going side to side. He had nothing that whole game. And, you know, still kept his head up, never complained, never called that his offensive line. So we have guys like this. I'm confident that Joe Burrow is going to lead us to a Super Bowl in the future if we can keep him healthy. You know, Frank, I agree with you 100%. I love Joe Burrow. I love his mental makeup and his backstory just as much as anything, as much as his on-field talent. Again, he, to me, is a guy that a lot of people always pointed to this coming draft, 2021, and looked at Trevor Lawrence as generational. And I believe that he probably is. But I, if you give me gun to my head, choose between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, I'm taking Joe Burrow 10 out of 10 times. That's just me personally. Uh, before we move forward, I do want to address um, just I don't know if there's coming through because, again, we're recording this. We're not listening to it. If there is a change in audio it is 2020. People technology sometimes seizes up and does what it does. Um, we had to switch from the uh, the Discord to Skype. So if there is kind of like a, a transition, if you will, that's the reason why, again, I believe in transparency. So that's what happened. Uh, nonetheless, we proceed. Again, love Burrow. I, I, he had to be the pick. Back when there was the, the the talk of whether or not, well, do you go Joe Burrow or do you go Chase Young? You, you know, local guy again, Ohio State anyway generational pass rush you got to take the quarterback you're nothing without the quarterback and it's nice to see you guys finally have the guy now again if I were to say to you though going back to the Browns game last Thursday night and not knowing quite yet how this game is going to unfold on Sunday between the birds and the Bengals Joe Burrow's 62 attempts I believe it was on Thursday against uh last Thursday against Cleveland is that a concern? Like you said, I know that, that Joe Mixon couldn't get a damn thing going. I've got him on my fantasy team in one league, and you guys were down at one point. But So is that? do you think that's more of a product of the game, or do you think that's kind of what Zach Taylor had in mind you know, for the general game plan? Good analysis, good point on that. And I'm going to say Zach Taylor wants to throw the ball, obviously but the run was not working. We were behind a lot in that game. So that's where a lot of those attempts came from. And I think there's a stat, like, like I think like 20 some out of those attempts came on like the last two drives. So when you look at the final and you see 60, 62 attempts, 61 attempts, you're thinking it's, it's a crazy amount, but in the flow of the game, it was, 
it wasn't really that abnormal. And they do want to establish the run with Mixon. But I'm going to tell you, when we play you guys, there's going to be a problem there. You guys have a good defensive line. Even with guys banged up, you're still bringing in guys from the bench that I know their names. So I know right. you're, you're deep at that position. So Mixon is going to have a hard time this week. It's going to be Joe Mix. It's going to be Joe Burrow point guard again this week. Yeah, look for him to throw like, like in the high thirties, definitely at, at least that many attempts against you guys. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it. This should be should be because I believe like I think this game's going to be a shootout. I think this has to kind of be another one of those games where Zach Taylor does and Doug Peterson will match him. Frank, trust me, Doug Peterson has. Little to no interest most of the time in running the ball. He did this past week against the Rams. It was nice to see Miles Sanders going. I would like to see a little bit more of the ground game on our end myself. I don't think that's the way this game is going to play out, though. I do think it's going to be a bit of a track meet. And I do think if you guys roll out, much like you did a lot of the time against Cleveland from what I saw, those empty sets, and you go, you you spread the defense out, it, it's an advantage. It, you can take advantage of the secondary. Darius Slay's been awesome. But Joe Burrow can make shit happen against the secondary of the Eagles, I'm telling you. And so I'll be curious to see again. I, I expect the attempt to be there early to try to get Mixon going, but I do think it's one of those deals where you will see a lot of empty formations for Burrow to work with. What is up with A.J. Green? Because when I watch him, he, is, he had that great bobbling catch that was vintage A.J. Green last Thursday against Cleveland on the out route. That was great to see. I know he's had a lot of injuries, man, and I know he's on the franchise tag. Am I? And I don't watch every single Bengal snap like you do. Is there? Am I reading too much into this? Does he look like he's lost a step, or is is it just the injuries? Is what what's going on with AJ Green? Am I just being over dramatic? No, Corey. I think I think there's something there. Now, when you think about the history of the NFL, there's not a, AJ Green is six foot four. You don't see a lot of six foot four receivers have really long careers. I know you can point out guys. I mean, there's Randy Moss. You know, I'm, I'm sure your listeners can point out a handful more than I'm not thinking of. But when you're that tall, it's I think it's hard to take those hits year after year. Again, the lower legs start to get abused in this game if you're a, a taller, lankier guy. So realistically, you know, you always see that they put out the polls on the best wide receivers. And when AJ was going a couple years ago. You know, you always see him in like the five to ten range on best receivers. I always thought he was the best. If you watch every snap of the Bengals through his career, it's magic. And he had Dalton thrown to him. Dalton was no slouch, believe me. He doesn't get a lot of credit. He was better than a lot of people think. But Green had to make a lot of incredible plays, a lot of contested catches, a lot of catching up to bad deep balls. If you look at his whole career, and and if you saw his career like I did, I'm sure that most fans out there would put him as a top top three receiver in the league. But here we are now, after a year and a half of injuries and, you know, injuries that started off, oh, he's only going to be out a couple weeks with turf toe. Oh, no, he needs surgeries out for the mm-hmm. year. You know, last year, oh, he tweaked his ankle going up against Drake Kirkpatrick on, on literally like the third play in preseason on a deep ball. Oh, it's just an ankle sprain. He's fine. You know, a week goes by. And then, oh, no, he's not going to play in training camp. He'll be ready for week one. Boom, 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 boom. Never played the whole season. So when you see him now, He's shaking off the rust after a year and a half. But again, he's one of those lanky bodies, and I think the injuries are going to pile up. Because he started off training camp this year on fire, and we're all like, oh, we got A.J. back. You know, on social media, we're watching slow-motion throws, a burrow to A.J. doing like a slant. We're all getting jacked up for it. And then he, then he pulls a hamstring. 
you know, and that's one of those, you know, I'm in my thirties running as hard as I can. Those are one of those, those are the kind of injuries that you start accumulating. So he lost all of his training camp to a hamstring. Okay, fine. Comes out in the first game, has a decent game against the chargers. The problem is he didn't get a lot of separation. And that's how you mentioned mm-hmm. Corey, the, the, the bobbling catch. You know, he wasn't wide open on that play. And if you look right. at a lot of plays in that game, you know, I think he had like six, seven receptions, but there were a lot of contested catches. He wasn't just blasting open. He did get open on one deep route and Burrow missed him. That was early in the game, but whatever. So then he comes out in the second game on the first play, play action to Mixon. I'm sorry, play action to Mixon, bomb it down the field to, to A.J. Green. He makes a dive for the ball. Great catch. They rule him out of bounds. And then he comes up like limping a little bit. And I wasn't yep. sure if he landed on the ball and got the wind knocked out of him or, or if he hurt something in his legs going deep. But the rest of the game, he was, he was kind of a shell of himself. They threw to him 13 times. He had three receptions. That's not A.J. Green. So, you know, then the pundits get out and saying he's lost his step, he's, he's getting old. And truthfully, the first two games, it kind of looked like that. So I'm hoping it's just a matter of shaking off the rust and he's going to be the A.J. Green that we all know. But if he continues the way he's playing right now, he will not be back next year. And that's what I was going to ask you, because I agree. Back in his prime, before the slew of injuries started, I completely agree with you, Frank. A.J. Green, to me, was a top-five receiver. I think he was every bit in that conversation with Julio Jones, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, even Des Bryant back in the day. I think A.J. Green was 100% right there with those guys. So, And you kind of alluded to it there. If I were to – if I, I don't have a crystal ball, but if let's say the Bengals go – I don't know. Before the trade deadline, let's say you guys are two and five. Okay, if if you've got an opportunity at the deadline, you're the GM of the Bengals. If if you've got a chance to deal AJ Green to say a Green Bay for a, a second, third round pick, are you doing it? Or are you rolling the dice that maybe do we want him to come back next year on a on a veteran team friendly deal, maybe, and hope that's the case? Or do you just okay, let's send him out the door. We've got the nucleus for the future. We have other needs as well. Give me something back in return. You know, I'm going to say that I would trade him at the deadline if those were the circumstances. You know, if he was having a pedestrian season and we were an under 500 club and someone was offering a second rounder, I don't like a third. And if, you know, if you've ever listened to my podcast, I believe in first and second rounders. There's, at least in the Bengals history, there's not a lot of hits from three through seven. Right. So whether, you know, people out there can prove that, hey, you can get gold gold after that. Yeah, I'm sure you can. But as far as the Bengals go, we need to get someone in the first and second round because we haven't proven to get in too many third round and on picks. So, yeah, mediocre season, under 500, second round pick offered, I'm all aboard. We'll get another offensive lineman, keep Burrow upright for a few more years. You mentioned second round picks. You guys' second round pick in 2019 and Drew Sample was kind of an off the – very off the beaten path pick. I'm a draft nerd. It's my cocaine. That pick <laughs> took me by surprise, to say the least. It was way off the reservation. He's got a massive chance to step up this Sunday. He has now taken over the lead tight end duty. CJ Uzama for you guys tore his ACL, I believe, against uh, Cleveland. So he's going it to. Was an, it was an Achilles, yeah. Well, okay. That's almost as bad, you know? Yeah, which sucks, man. So he's he's going to be done for the year. That leaves that, but that. That gives Sample an opportunity now to provide the team with a return on investment. What 
Give me the scouting report on Drew Sample because this is a defense in, in, in ours last week, the Birds with Jim Schwartz, that had Tyler Higby was out there looking like fucking Tony Gonzalez with three touchdown passes. So if, 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 if Drew Sample is anything, he can put in work this Sunday. I wish. I mean, I wish that he was like your two tight ends because then we'd be in business. But he's not really quite there yet. You know, when they drafted him, I was the same way. I'm like, what? <laughs> Second round this early, you're taking him? Who, who is he? Like, there were so many other names on the board that I was getting so excited about at that point. Right. And then, you know, hey, no disrespect to him. You know, he's a Bengal now. I'm totally pulling <laughs> for him. But when they drafted him, they rationalized it right away as saying, he's a blocking tight end. You know, this guy is going to be like having a sixth offensive lineman in there. So that was how <laughs> it was fed to us as Bengal fans when they drafted him. And, you know, his first year, he got hurt. Early in, early in the season, and before he got hurt, he wasn't really blocking that well. You know, they, they found him a couple times on passes, but then we're like, wow, he, he wasn't blocking that well. He got hurt. So all of Bengal land was like, this guy's a bust, this guy's a bust. So second year, early indication was one of the first pictures of Joe Burrow at training camp was him walking off the field laughing with Drew Sample. And I was like, oh, wait, are these guys bros? You know, does he have to take a liking to him? So I don't know what, what has happened there, but Drew Sample is, is an underneath guy. Drew Sample's not going to win this game against you guys. He had seven receptions last week for 45 yards. Again, that's that point guard mentality. Right. I'm going to hit these. I'm going to hit whoever's open for the quickest four to seven yards I can get. So that's not really going to be a threat to you guys. And I mean, I like him as a player. I think he's going to grow as a player. I think Burrow's going to keep using him. He's going to be reliable. He's going to be like a little first down guy here and there, but not a game breaker. Going back to the 2019 draft, Jonah Williams was your first rounder, I believe 11th overall. Um, I love the pick at the time. I know it's not a, a offensive lineman or never. You can't draft him in fantasy football. It's not a sexy pick. People aren't rushing out to buy offensive linemen, you know, guard jerseys or tackles or centers when that's who your team picks in the first round. They're not going to move like a Burrow or a Tua jersey would. On, on Fanatics or whatever the case may be. How has throughout the first two games, because, again, Jonah Williams obviously missed the entire, his entire rookie season, 2019. How has he looked um, his first two games? Again, going against, you know, a decent, you know, good offensive. I'm not sure. Did he go uh, head up against Miles Garrett last week, or was that Miles Garrett and Bobby Hart? It was a mix. They were putting Garrett on both sides. Okay, gotcha. So he's – and then you have that Chargers defensive front as well with, uh, with Bosa and Ingram. How has Jonah Williams held up so far in pass pro for Burrow? All right, so to go back to my other point from before, like with Sam Darnold compared to with Joe Burrow, you kind of know when a guy is going to be special. And when you look at the Colts, like Quentin Nelson, I mean, literally first, second, third game, you're like, oh, my God, this guy is for real. I love that dude. I hope there's not uh, – are you kidding me? I wish that we had him. It would be a difference maker. <laughs> And that's why the Colts are winning games. Don't mistake that. That yep. guy is really contributing. He could run behind them all day, and he locks down you know, that part of the field in pass protection. Yep. So I hope there's not a ton of Bengal fans listening because I'm probably going to catch heat for it. But <laughs> I'm not a fan of Jonah. Like I, I, you know, I broke down the tape. You know, I watched the game a couple times to see what was going on, especially him, because he was one of the things that you want to watch going into the season. I mean, he's got great technique, but I don't – you know, I think he gets overpowered a little bit at times. He's got, he's got, they say he's got short arms, you know, the, the whole knock on people, yep. they measure every inch of your body and find deficiencies, you know, like Aaron Donald's too short. Right. But, but whatever, in his <laughs> case, I'm, I'm not, you know, they, they, 
I've talked to some offensive line kind of specialists, and they say he has like this creative punch move where he lets the guy put his hands up and then he knocks his hands down. I don't know. That's how he like compensates for having short arms. But in reality, sometimes you can just tell if a guy is going to be a dominant player or not. And I'm feeling that Jonah Williams is going to be serviceable. I don't think he's going to be an all pro. And truthfully, I think they should probably get him over on the right side and next year work on getting like a real marquee left tackle. So again, he faced really good competition the first two games. Maybe, maybe the light will go on for him and maybe that'll happen and he'll do better. It was tough for him against Garrett. It was tough for him against Bosa. He was having a tough time against Melvin Ingram too. You know, he was, he, he got beat by um, one of the, one of the Browns backup linemen on a play for a sack. So, you know, the, the jury's out on Jonah Williams. It is too early for me to make a definitive move on his career, but as someone who analyzes football, you kind of see, like, is he strong enough? Is he long enough? So, unfortunately, that's my take on Jonah. Maybe we'll get him over to the right side, and hopefully he can have a nice productive career for us. I agree. I think right side would be – because there were a few plays where I did see he was a little leaky uh, in pass pro against uh, against Cleveland. He kind of, you know, had been and, – and thankfully Burrow – you know, has the mentality. He's able to, to navigate the pocket. He can step up. He's he's willing to even stand in there and deliver, you know, under pressure. He did it at LSU as well. Um, and I do think there's a guy, if it's any consolation, again, we don't know how this year is going to play out. There's an offensive tackle out of Oregon in Panay Sewell, and that guy – I, I don't have the entire every every offensive lineman that's been drafted in front of me. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. That guy is a monster. He's he's I think he's probably going to be a lock in terms of a surefire awesome left tackle for years to come. He's probably the closest thing we've had this side of maybe Joe Thomas off the top of my head. Love the guy. So if there's any consolation, man, depending on how things go, maybe you guys can land him and kick seventy three over the right side. What um you guys secondary because this is this is a team in in the Bengals that you guys spent a lot of draft capital there over the years in the first round high draft picks and I know some of those guys aren't there anymore again Dark has Denard I believe is in in Jacksonville Kirkpatrick is gone I believe um, there were a lot of high draft picks there for you guys and the defense is still you know secondary is not what it what you want it to be it's same same as it is with us. Give me the scouting report on your secondary. I like Jesse Bates from the little bit I've seen again, but I know you break down Bengals tape as I do Eagles tape. What's what's who should we be looking at in your secondary? Okay, so I am going to break down the secondary for you, but I'm glad that you asked the question that way because I want to pay tribute to one of the Bengals who's really playing well, and that's Mackenzie Alexander. Okay, we got him from the Vikings. That was one of those free agent signings. Not even the biggest one. But he's been lights out. You don't even hear the name of the slot receiver for the other team the whole game. And you don't even hear Alexander's name for most of the game. And you know that a corner is doing their job when you don't hear their name. But he's coming up and making tackles. You know, he's up there. You're watching the linebackers flounder. And he's in there, you know, grabbing on the Chubb's legs and getting dragged for two yards but bringing him down. So Mackenzie Alexander, I know a lot of guys out there might not have heard of him. But that's the player back there to watch. From someone who's, who's analyzed these first two games in detail, that's the guy who's balling back there. Now let's go to the safety position really quick. Von Bell, great tackler, hard hitter, a little suspect in coverage. Glad to have him. I think he was an improvement over what we had. And if you look at Von Bell and Jesse Bates in that first game against the Chargers, they were lights out. And I was like, wow, Jesse Bates in his third year has arrived. We have like an Earl Thomas coming here. We got a player. Mm. And then 
you know, he was doing that against Eckler and, and you know, and they don't have a lot of dominant. Res- I mean, I know they have Keenan Allen, but I mean, he wasn't pressed that much in, in pass coverage against the Chargers. But then when we played the Browns and you have Chubb running at you, you know, with 230 pounds and I watched his legs are like Saquon Barkley. Yes. I, I don't know if anyone has noticed that. <laughs> but Tree Chubb trunks, man. Real. When they, yeah. When they put him in, in top five running backs, I kind of believe it. I mean, he's a, he's a powerhouse. So these safeties struggled in tackling against the Browns. They look good against the Chargers. I mean, literally, like, oh, we got, we got pro bowlers here. And then against the Chargers, what happened was, I mean, then against the Browns, we let up five touchdowns. On three of those touchdowns, Jesse Bates was the last guy to hit the ball carrier and miss the tackle on three of those touchdowns. And the other two, Von Bell got dragged into the end zone on one, and the other one was some weird blown coverage, and you saw Von Bell running over late. I don't know. I don't think that was his responsibility. But if you look at the five touchdowns, every one of them had one of our safeties not making a play there. So I don't know who's going to show up this week. And to be honest with you, I think we're going to get more of the, of the good out of those safeties against you guys, only because Miles Sanders, he had a great week last week. But we do good against those smaller backs. Like I think he's like 212 pounds. He's more of a speedster than a power guy. Yep. At least from my novice opinion. Yep, you're right. On the on the Eagles. So I think guys like Chubb gave us trouble because he's a pounder. Like a Derrick Henry would give us trouble. But when, you know, the, the more of those scat guys, I think we can rein them in a little more. So I'm not going to make any predictions on this. But I think the safety work will be closer to game one for us than to the disastrous game two. And then if you move over to the corners, William Jackson had a, a rookie year, which was like almost like a record for his, his efficiency in his rookie year. And it's been like a slow slope downward for him. He makes a lot of mental errors. He's got the physical skills. He's a good player, but he makes some en- mental errors. He made, he made a really bad decision on a double move by Odell, as we all saw on that, on that Thursday night game and got beat for a deep pass. And that, you know, that's what everyone sees and says, oh, wow, he just got beat deep. It was a bad decision. He didn't, he didn't, get beat physically he just he bit on a, on a route that he should not have been on so I don't know what William Jackson we're going to get he's serviceable he's not going to get lit up and then again with you guys and I'm not an expert on the Eagles obviously but I know that Rager's out yep you know Jeffrey hasn't played a, a down this year so when I look at it as an outsider I'm like oh, I got to worry about these tight ends these tight ends are going to eat us up and they very well could be the difference in the game for you guys but when I look at the outside I don't, I'm not that worried about you guys. Like, I don't know. Like, Deshaun <laughs> Jackson, he's getting up there in age. He's a deep threat. What I think you guys should do is get Deshaun Jackson up against Darius Phillips on the other corner, on the, on the left side, your right side, and go, and go deep on him. Darius Phillips has the highest ranking of, out of any of our corners on PFF, but I don't think he's been truly tested as much as he should have been. And, you know, if you can get word to the Eagles, I would let him know to go at Darius Phillips with Deshaun Jackson. That's probably a matchup that you guys could win on the outside. Yeah, it's funny because Rager Rager is going to be out, which for my money is the best the best receiver we have as currently constructed on this roster. Alshon Jeffrey was limited in practice yesterday, but that that doesn't guarantee that he's going to suit up on Sunday. So, I mean, and again, if not, like you said, there's Deshaun Jackson, JJ Arcega, Whiteside, Greg Ward. I mean, nobody's nobody's waking up on Sunday and shitting their pants over covering these dudes. You know what I mean? Again, Deshaun Jackson, even though he's older, you got the speed element there, but you know, there's always a chance that he's going to come up dinged up, 
You know what I mean? And and now he'll be out of the game again. That second level with those tight ends is where I expect, I hope anyway, if Peterson smart, which the jury can be out sometimes, is where he'll look to be. You know, our offense runs the best and is most efficient when you've got those guys going, Ertz and Goddard. So I'm hoping that, you know, that's what Peterson does on Sunday. But again, I've spent five years trying to figure out what Doug Peterson does. He got us a Super Bowl, which was awesome, but that's not going to guarantee him a decade of employment with this team. So, you know, we'll we'll see, man. I You mentioned a lot of those free agency corners. Again, uh, Mackenzie Alexander uh, from Minnesota. You guys brought in Trey Waynes as well. Von Bell was another free agent acquisition. You brought in DJ Reader as well on the defensive line. A lot of money spent on that defense in the offseason. And Cincinnati is typically a team that isn't – doesn't spend doesn't dip into free agency a ton they keep you guys keep your own guys you very rarely see a Joe Mixon or an AJ Green I mean that's the reason why you know Mixon just got extended AJ Green's been there got franchise tag again you keep you take care of your own which is which is awesome to see but the Bengals aren't typically a team that dips their hand into the free agency pool was that nice to see is that something do you think that is going to be a trend going forward now that you know you have the guy in Burrow you know, that, that's a very good point that, that you say that because the Bengals have been an antiquated organization for a long time. And, you know, they had like the smallest scouting department in the league at times. And I think, you know, as Mike Brown gets older, he's in his late 80s. He just wants to win. I think he's, he's kind of removed himself from the team as, as more than people think. And he's letting his daughter run the team, really, which is Katie Blackburn. And she has a more youthful mentality towards things and a more modern mentality, you know, responsible for getting a head coach who's in his 30s. You know, they have a social media presence. They finally spent money in free agency. Like, I think there's no lie that the Bengals have that antiquated reputation, and that was well-deserved for a long time. But I think the changing in the guard has happened since Mike Brown is, you know, basically almost hitting 90 and handing it over to some younger people that are more in tune with things. And Duke Tobin's a, a lot, a lot responsible for that as well. He's, they don't call him the general manager, but he basically is. I think he's the director of player personnel. I don't know. The Browns still have their way. They want to keep control, but he basically is the general manager. So the combination of Duke Tobin and Katie Blackburn has given the Bengals kind of a more modern look on things. So I, I do believe they're going to spend a free agency. And if they don't get one or two high, high-profile offensive line free agents next year, I'm going to freak out. There's no reason for it. <laughs> and, you, you know what, Corey, because they have Burrow, you can start recruiting guys like this. Yes. You know, like, you might get some guys to come to Cincinnati because they're like, oh, this guy's going to be a winner. This guy's going to be like a Tom Brady. So now that option's open. You have an ownership that's a little more open-minded to it. So – you know, hopefully we're looking at a new generation for the Bengals because it's been, you know, it's been a tough 20, 30 years for God's sakes. No, I know. And I, I and that's a great point, Frank, like you said, with Burrow, it, it having a guy like that, it does. It's going to attract – I mean, look at Tampa. Look at Tampa and everybody that flocked there, how many guys came out of retirement, for Christ's sake, to go and play with Tampa because right. Brady's going to be there. So it makes all the difference in the world. And, and that's that's with Brady, who was in his 40s. With Burrow, like you said, you've got the next decade – and then some, as long as he stays upright, you guys are going to be contenders, in my opinion. I think if, if you're the Bengals and you have, you know, your seven draft picks next year, I would take at least three or four of them and draft offensive linemen. If you hit, 
if you hit on if if you hit on one, one's a home run, and you get a starter out of the second one, you can go and pluck another one from free agency. Like you said, I think a big thing that I hated seeing happen was you guys letting Andrew Whitworth walk in free agency. Now I don't know the exact contract numbers off the top of my head, you know, and I I know he's getting a little long in the tooth, but it it. He was he was a linchpin man at left tackle, and it's like okay, even if you had him now for Burrow's first year or two, and like you said earlier, you can kick Jonah Williams now over to the right side. You can get Bobby Hart the hell out of here, you know. And <laughs> and, and 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 you know the Billy Price situation is is what it is. You know, it, it th- those little moves go a long way. You know what I mean? But I I do like to see you guys dipping into free agency because it's not typical to see the Bengals spend that money. So it was a nice, refreshing change to see. Um, I'm curious, as it goes to the draft, you guys spent the the first the first pick of the second round, 33rd overall pick on T. Higgins. Why take a guy that high and not use him? Now, is that – do you think that is so – do you think that's a product of, hey, we're still – we've only played two games. It's not time to panic yet. The, I'm, I'm not calling him a bust. At all, because the guy's only played two games. You don't know what he's going to be yet. But would you like to see more of him at this point in the season, kind of, you know, pick up a little action with 85 out there, given the fact that you guys did spend that high of a draft pick on him when you had guys like Ezra Cleveland out there, tackle for Boise State, Josh Jones, offensive tackle for Houston. You could have addressed that immediate need. You know, we're going to go back to the recurring theme here of when the light goes on. And you are right. When I was watching the draft, I was hoping they grabbed one of those tackles. And then they grabbed him. And I was like, you know what, that's, that's, that's a kind of a fun pick, you know, getting a wide receiver. You always like getting skill positions in the draft. It's of course, fun. yeah. You know, more than the, the trenches guys, even though the trench, trenches guys are more important. But great, great way to set me up for this. I'm being real. First game, T. Higgins, invisible. Second game, light went on. I'm not kidding you. I, I'm, I'm a critic. You know, if, if I, like I told you, I, I said about Jonah Williams, the light didn't go on. I can, I can see it right now. Right. I saw the light go on for Higgins in that second half of that game. He had a couple really good catches. He was getting open. They were putting him in the lineup more. And John Ross is struggling. I'm, I mean, we can go on for 30 minutes about John Ross. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I like the guy. But, you know, look for Higgins to get more of those first-team snaps as opposed, to, uh, as opposed to Ross. Like I told you, you can tell when someone's going to make it or not. And – we know from watching the NFL all these years, Corey, rookie wide receivers, there's only a few that really, really dominate. It takes a little while for those guys to dominate. Yeah, not everybody's so Randy I, Moss, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think that's the case with Higgins. He's not going to have a monster year this year. He's going to have you know a, a middle-of-the-road year, and people are going to be like, oh, those aren't that great of stats. But I could tell the light went on for this guy. He's going to be all right. Yeah, he's going to be mediocre this year. But watch year two, three, and four, especially with a, a, a rapport with Burrow. This guy's going to be on top of the charts. And that's good to know, man. And I, I, I'm convinced at the time that I thought that was an absolutely a luxury pick. I think it kind of made A.J. Green somewhat expendable um, long-term past this year, obviously, when the franchise tag expires. Because when you have a guy like that, now you can have, you know, and I don't know, did you guys pick up the option on John Ross yet or 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 no? They did not. Okay, so it it, it, it worst-case scenario for Cincinnati <laughs> A.J. Green walks this year, same with John Ross. You still have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. So, in all honesty, I mean, it, it might not have been the the biggest need, but 
I mean, credit the organization for the foresight. You know what I mean? We need to have a guy opposite of Tyler Boyd that we can continue to roll out. Because you can always you can always replenish a team with receivers. It's a hell of a lot easier to do that than offensive linemen. Um, Agreed. And I think I agree with John Ross, man. I I love that pick at the time. I know it's it, you know it it hindsight you know is always twenty twenty. It sucks that Mahomes was the pick after him, but I love that pick at the time, man. I mean, again, he's got the blazing speed. I he seems like a guy that you know. I mean, I was listening to your podcast, and I believe it was John Ross came out and said. I correct me if I'm wrong here, because I could have this wrong. Didn't he say that he does not blame the organization for not picking up his option? Yes, and that's why he's likable. That's why you want to see him do well when, when a guy is that self-aware and kind of chill about things, you know? Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I, he seems like a good dude. I just, I, I, from what I've seen, again, I don't watch every snap. That's why I did not know that T. Higgins, you know, even had a decent game. You know, I was in and out watching the game on Thursday night. I saw a good chunk of it, but I, I, I'm not locked in for every single snap. You know what I mean? So, I did yeah. not, it's good to hear that he had a solid game, too, because I love the pick, and I'm sentimentally, you love hearing a guy, and I know he grew up a Bengals fan. So, you love hearing a guy, man. That's so cool. Like, can you imagine if, you know, you know, we played, man. If you get that far to grow up, man, if, if you were drafted by the Bengals or if I were to be drafted by the Eagles, like, man, it doesn't get any better than that. So you can't help but root for a guy that gets drafted by his childhood team. Oh, well put, man. And I think that, I think that you know, you guys are well on your way, man. I really believe that. And, and you know, like you said, the offensive line – Definitely needs to be the priority because if not, I don't want to see Burrow turn into Carson Wentz. I don't. And again, I still think that Eleven can be the the MVP form of himself. I do if he can get the hell out of his own way. But I I just want to see Joe Burrow should be a Hall of Famer. I don't I don't want to be overreaction guy that calls him Hall of Famer two games into his career. But he has everything. He checks every single box that you want. As long as he doesn't get, you know, the the David Carr treatment or the Carson Wentz treatment in a way, even. Um, before we get into something kind of fun and off the reservation, I want to do with you, man, about uh, the historic element of your franchise. Give me what do you what do you see the final score as on Sunday? I know you said that 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 you see you guys coming out on top. Uh, last I saw the line, I think we were six and a half point favorites. I don't know if that's move. I, when I saw that line, I thought it was way too damn generous. I'm going to be honest. So I don't know if that's the current line. What do you see the final score as roughly on Sunday? I, I appreciate that. And I actually, I've seen the, the spread actually go from six and a half to five and a half to four and a half. I'm not sure what it's at today, but again, I'm never going to pick against the Bengals. I mean, even if they play the Ravens, I'll be like, well, you know, if Jackson gets hurt in the fourth quarter, we can, you know, so (laughs) realistically on my podcast, I said 34, 31 Bengals. I I figure we're just going to go score for score. You guys are going to score a bunch of touchdowns with those tight ends against our linebackers. There's going to be a lot of matchup problems there. We cannot cover your tight ends one-on-one with a linebacker. It'll be lights out. So I, I just say four touchdowns for you, one field goal for you out of Jake Elliott. I wish I had him. And then four touchdowns <laughs> for us and two field goals for us. Let's say 34-31. That would be my prediction for the game, and I'm crossing my fingers. I, I think that's about right, man. That's that's about what I was looking at, 34-31, 35-30, anywhere in, that, anywhere in that, that area I think is about accurate is how it's going to play out. Who knows? Maybe we touch the 40s. I, I can see this one. I think it's going to be a track meet, if I'm being perfectly honest. Again, I – 
I didn't know the line had moved that much. I'm not surprised to know that it did. I I checked early. Uh, last time I checked was Monday afternoon. So I I had assumed that it had changed. Obviously, we're at Friday afternoon now, so it should have. And even when I saw six and a half the day after, you know, we got embarrassed by the by the bone wearing Rams on Sunday, I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's a high line. But you know, it it sounds like Vegas is you know done what they typically do and. You know, now it's way more realistic. I wanted to, while I've got you, man, because I'm a I'm a mark for legacy, Hall of Fame, the history of the sport, you know, of football. It was my first love, man, and and I've grown up obsessed with this shit from a very young age. And I love it, man. I uh I've always found it curious that the Cincinnati Bengals have only retired one number. I don't know why I'm a nerd for this shit. I, I, I don't know why I obsess over dumb shit like this. But you guys have only retired one number, the number 54, Bob Johnson, who was the original Cincinnati Bengal, the first draft pick in uh, franchise history. He was a center with you guys from, uh, you know, throughout the 70s, I believe. I think he was there nine or ten years. I could be wrong. And it's always kind of driven me nuts, man, for no reason. I have no reason to give a shit about the numbers the Bengals retire or haven't retired. But I've looked at it, man, and you guys got a – there's people there that deserve it. There's people there that deserve it, and I, it's just always kind of been one of those things, whenever it creeps into my mind, I'm not laying up at night losing sleep about it, but whenever the idea does make its way into my conscious, I go, man – there's some that seem like no-brainers, and I'm a fan of loser list content, Mount Rushmore type shit. So I've got my Mount Rushmore of Bengals retired jersey numbers. If if you got one, if you could assemble one, I'd like to kind of con- compare and contrast. You're the expert here. I just wanted to see how they stack up, man. And And before we even do that, get your thoughts on – is this something you've thought about or that bothers you, or am I just being a fucking idiot by having this bother me and thinking about this even more than once in my lifetime as a not Bengals fan? Corey, you're right on. It's not good for team morale to not honor your great players. And that goes with that antiquated mentality that we were talking about earlier. You know, they're not even thinking about stuff like that. They don't want to spend the money on that. because That was the old regime. You know, they're, they're, they're not even paying tribute to their older players. So, and if you go to Cincinnati, and I, I live in New Jersey, I'm not, I don't live in Cincinnati, but obviously I've been out there to the, to the stadium and the city, and you look at the Great American Ballpark where the Reds play, they have statues of their, of their great players in front. You know, and it's not like that for the Bengals. And that's something that I believe that the new regime should start thinking about, is start honoring some of your, your historic players. Build some legacy. It's better for even your fan base. You know, you might get some new fans into you guys if you start honoring people. It might be an inspiration to the players playing now if they see, you know, some other players' names up on the rafters, you know, as they say. Yep. So that's something that they, they need to correct, and that's something that they're way behind on, and that's something that I hope the new regime will correct. But anyway, to get to your point, yes, Bob Johnson, center, number 54, that's the retired number. But if you want to go, there's only a couple others that I would retire right now because I'm, I'm like – I used to be into old-time baseball, so I was real specific on Hall of Fame and don't, don't be, you know, don't let just anyone in the Hall of Fame, right? So yes. moving on to the Bengals, I would only put three more on that list. Munoz at 78, you have to. The, really considered the best left tackle in history. 100%. So that would be – so you have him and Johnson, and then you have to put Ken Anderson on there at number 14. Agreed. Because – 
great career, led the AFC in passing like three times, went to the Super Bowl. You know, if he would have won the Super Bowl, it'd be a different narrative on his career. And he might actually get into the Hall of Fame, but he's got the numbers for it. And then the other one that a lot of people outside of the Bengals might not know is Ken Riley. He's number 13. Yes. And he was a cornerback, and they drafted him in in like – he played 15 years. I think they drafted him in the early 70s or, or whatever. And when they drafted him, they said, you know, we have this side locked down for the next decade. And that was true. He has 65 career interceptions and to go along with it, 18 fumble recoveries. So this guy has been responsible for, you know, what, what's the math on that? Like almost 90 turnovers in, in his career. Yep. So he had a great career. He locked down that side. I don't even think he made a Pro Bowl when he played. Like that's how, yep. that's how invisible since he was to the national media. So those are the numbers. You retire number 14, you retire number 13, you retire number 78. A lot of people might make an argument for Boomer Esiason and number seven, and I love Boomer. He's a class act. He's a guy from the East Coast like me. I have a lot in common with him. When I hear him talk, I'm like, yeah, this guy's right on. I really do like him yep. as, as a guy, as, as a person, and he was a great player, and I followed up him. He took us to the Super Bowl. He almost had that ring as well. He was an MVP that year. So he's got the skins on the wall. But not really like Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson was a Bengal through and throughout. You know, at the end of his career, Boomer went to, what, the Cardinals and the Jets. He bounced around a little bit. So that kind of taints the legacy. So he would be the next one in. But at this point, if I'm going to be the elitist and only have a handful, that that number, that four Mount Rushmore, Rushmore, you have the four that I'm thinking. Okay. And I've got got one different. I've got one different. That's why I popped when you said Ken Riley. And I figured, you know, you're, man, you're a, you're a diehard. I'm like, okay, Ken Riley. Those were the three, Ken Riley, Kenny Anderson, Anthony Munoz. Those were the three I figured we'd agree on for sure. Again, Anthony Munoz, when you got the best left tackle, when you got the best anything in the history of the game, as long as they've been doing this, they deserve it. Kenny Anderson, you know, Bill Walsh ran the West Coast offense with him before he ran it with Joe Montana, you know, and he won sure. the he won the NFL MVP in 1981. I mean that, again, it, I would argue that he deserves to be a Hall of Famer, let alone to have his number retired. Um, I agree with you on Ken Riley. I got his number 13 as well, fifth all-time within, you know, in interceptions. Again, no Pro Bowls, but a three-time All-Pro, which is just – the Pro Bowl used to mean something. Not that all pro didn't. It still does. But, you know, remember back when the Pro Bowl was valid, man? Now nobody gives a shit about it. Now now you're down to third and fourth alternates and nobody cares anymore. Like back then, a Pro Bowl meant something. To know that Ken Corey, Riley gonna, never made I, I a Pro was, Bowl I'm not going to interrupt you, man. No, you're I was good. in Orlando like two years ago when it was down there, and someone offered me free tickets, and I was like, nah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what did I, I got to I gotta ask? What did you turn down free tickets at the Pro Bowl to do instead? Like, did you and the other half have plans already? Or, like, what, 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 what were you – what did you do in the place of going to the Pro Bowl for free? If uh, you don't mind me asking. Because, you know, that's the, that's the sad part. I, maybe I should have went to the game because I might have some memory of it. But I, I don't know what the <laughs> hell I did. But at the time, it, it felt like it was going to be more fun than going there. Yeah, no, I think you made the right call, man. And the fact that you don't remember probably means that it was a good time anyway, in all honesty. So, uh, good call by you, man. I For my number four, man, I we both took away Andy Dalton's number 14. I, I went back and forth on my number four, man. Now that you didn't have him, I'm curious to get your opinion because 
Ocho Cinco would have never been a thing if I were doing this because I plucked his 85 away with Isaac Curtis and retired that as well. He's up there, you know, in historically in every Bengals receiving category up there with the Chad Johnsons and the, you know, A.J. Greens. This is a guy that, you know, it, it, receivers today owe a lot to Isaac Curtis. He's a catalyst for a lot of these rule changes. He was so fast, you know, that Don Shula had Miami secondary basically take his ass out before he could run her out. And Paul Brown went and complained to the league that offseason that, you know, what's the point of having these players if, if they're not able to perform? That's when the five-yard bump and run rule got put in place, and the NFL actually referred to it as the Isaac Curtis rule. I could be reaching a little bit here. But it, it that that's where I went for option number four, man. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because if 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 that were the case, Ocho Senko, which is you know one of the best Bengals of our generation, would have never been a thing. You know, I, I thank you for paying tribute to Isaac Curtis, and yeah, he, he was a great Bengal, and you're right, he he was one of the the inspirations for those rule changes because he was getting beat up at the line. So yeah, they they made a lot of changes based on on what you said with Paul Brown. Um, yeah, I. I don't, I don't know if the lifetime numbers are there. And again, it wasn't a past crazy period that he played in. So if right. he played now, I'm sure the numbers would have been a lot better, but you know, they, they do go by statistics as well as, as how much of an impact you made when you were there. So I think just because the statistics were a little bit low, I don't think that I, I would, I don't think that I would bestow him with that, you know, elite Mount Rushmore honor, to be honest with you. No. And I think you're right, man. And again, I, this was, he was the tiebreaker of, I Ocho Cinco was in the conversation for me. I also thought about Chris Henry because that's that's what you do when a player on your active roster dies most of the time. And then I remembered because he died when I was I can't even remember how old I was, but I was younger. Um, you know, I'm 32 now, so it was a while ago. And then I remembered that's right. He had some off the field stuff. So I was like, okay, the the chalk honor of honoring you know deceased guy with retiring his number probably the optics are terrible if he's got a bunch of off the field shit too still doesn't mean it's awesome that he died obviously but eh, do you really that would be kind of a stain on your organization to retire a guy's number that's got the off the field stuff that he did allegedly and uh i almost put reggie williams there as well number 57 linebacker for you guys you know leader of the defense it took you to super bowl 16 and 23 you know Played his ass off, was involved in the community community with you guys. I just went tiebreaker Isaac Curtis because I'm like, ah. You know, I always thought the rule thing with him was pretty cool. And like you said, if he had played in today's NFL, he'd be, you know, probably the equivalent of a Tyreek Hill type, even though he had more height than Tyreek did. So um, I appreciate you humoring me in that, man. Again, I don't know that that's something that, you know – it it, it it probably shouldn't bother me more than it bothers a Bengals fan, man. And I don't want to put, but, but it, I've always found it curious, man. We were like, okay, you know, I'm going to have you on. I was like, I got to ask you about it. I have to. So now your knowledge of the Bengals is really impressive, man. I, I, that's really cool that you, you know the Bengals that well. Definitely more than I know the Eagles. Hey, I remember Tony Franklin kicking barefoot. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the barefoot but, beast. Um, <laughs> you go back, man, and and Carmichael. Oh, there there was a lot. There was a lot in your day. You had some good stuff going on there. Yeah, man, there was. And and I I was born in '88, man. A lot of a lot of my Eagles life. Uh, well, the first half, the first half was just torture and misery. I wasn't allowed to drink when I was that young, clearly. But if I could have, I don't know, maybe I'd have pushed for it because the Bobby Hoying years, there were years we had both Detmers on our roster at the same time. There was a lot of, you know, Richie Kotite was a thing that happened. 
you know, the, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it turned around eventually. And then there was a the chip Kelly experiment. I mean, I think every, every team, man, if you look at, at any team that's been around long enough, even if you go to the fucking lions, every team at some point has had a stretch in their existence where they've been really good and where they've been really bad. And I think for you guys, Particularly, I know it's been. You have won a playoff game. So I believe it was 1990 or whatever it was. Longest streak now. When a, you know Asiason was there, and back when they were doing the icky shuffle and everything, you know, I, you guys are you're you're close, man. You're close. I I really and I mean this, Frank. I think I think that streak's finally about to come to an end. Maybe not this year, but but you know, for for you guys that have waited this long, I don't think you're going to be waiting this long again because I think it's coming. Uh, thank you, man. Well put, man. I, I'm hoping you're right. So where um where again and I I I love what you do man I can I can vouch for your work you know your shit man I I'm a fan of your work where can anybody listening uh to this podcast where can they find you on social media previous episodes go ahead and plug everything let them know where they can find you at across everything All right man thank you um you can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter those are my accounts and it's at Cincy Bengals Pod and then if you go to Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, any podcast platform, it's the unofficial Bengals podcast. Awesome, awesome. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Follow. Give Frank a follow again. Bengals fan or not, whether you're a football fan, you will learn from his podcast. If if you're too lazy to watch film yourself, you will learn something from what listening to his podcast and hearing his breakdowns. Always quality stuff out of you, Frank. Really appreciate you taking the time coming on, man. I hope I didn't hope I didn't take too much of your day, man. But I really appreciate you doing uh, coming on with me, man. Let's do it again sometime. All right, Corey. I could talk to you for four hours about this stuff, and I appreciate everything. <laughs> You're the best, bro. Absolutely, brother. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Big thank you. To my guy, Frank LaPlaca, host of the unofficial Bengals podcast for joining me. Uh, that was a very, very fast hour. Very fast hour. It's almost like when Justin and I ramble incessantly on Gear Freaks, uh, which is also a very fast hour sometimes when we go that long. You can follow along. At Gear Freaks Pod is where Justin and I record or where we post on Instagram on social media every week. New episodes drop every Tuesday for that. Want to thank Frank for joining me again. Give him a follow on Instagram at Cincy with a Y Bengals Pod. You can subscribe uh, to him as well on all platforms. I encourage you to do so. He's got a YouTube channel as well, so he's better than I am. I do not have that yet. So. Uh, cheers to Frank and uh, appreciate him joining me today. Um, you know, this game on Sunday I look at and it, I think I would like to think that I think with any sample size you can always get you can get good ones and bad ones, right? Collectively, this is a very smart fan base we have in the birds. But I'm sure there is probably a portion of Eagles fans that go, ah, it's it's the Bengals. We'll be all right. <clears throat> I'm telling you right now, I've seen a fair amount of the Bengals, and if I get my voice straight, that final drive that Frank had discussed, Burrow 7 for 10, 60 yards, got the Bengals in position to win that game. It is not his fault they lost to the Browns. He was back there dealing you know, given the circumstances, again, quick releases, getting the ball out fast. That's what he does. Timing, quick releases. He's accurate as hell, man. I love Burrow's game. And to be honest, 
this is an offense in Cincinnati's that is that is clicking right now where ours is not. If it weren't for their defense against Cleveland, they'd be one and one, man. You can say what you want, but again, like we were just saying, if you go back any any organization that's been around long enough, there's been times where you've been good and there's times where you've been ass. And I I know it's been a disaster for years for the Bengals, but I, I believe that it's about to turn around. And I hope we're not after this you know, recent stint of success we've had. I hope we're not two ships passing in the night going in opposite directions, and I hope we're not about to go the bad way. I still support Carson Wentz. He's still my fucking quarterback. Do not get it twisted. But again, none of the dumb shit this week. Don't throw across your body. Peterson, do him favors. Three-step drops, screen passes. None of the craziness. Again, they do not have an Aaron Donald. They do not have the defensive front that Washington does but they've got guys that can make noise Sam Hubbard is not a slouch Carlos Dunlap's a little long in the tooth now he's a little older but he can still make some shit happen you got Carl Lawson these are guys that are you know they they, look man Isaac Sayamalu is now on the IR that this offensive line we know the situation so Carson it puts him in a position where he has to be even more intelligent with the ball you can't do the dumb turnovers every possession is precious in this sport, period, let alone when you are down to where this roster is right now. No Jalen Rager. As we said, Alshon Jeffrey was limited in practice yesterday, wore a helmet. I, maybe he goes on Sunday. I don't know, though. I definitely wouldn't bet on it. I mean, it, so what's that leave you with? You know, again, I I agree with Frank. I think the the Ertz and Goddard matchup, it, it bodes perfect here. This is this is go with Goddard between the 20s. Ert, the red zone is Ertz territory. That's when this offense kind of flows the best. Feed Miles Sanders, you know, get him going in the passing game a little bit. I agree. I don't think because he's not a typically a great between the tackles back. He's not a Nick Chubb. He's not a Derrick Henry. He's not a bruiser, you know, a Dalvin Cook type. He's more of a scat back. Get him on the perimeter. You know, I, I think we can win this game. Will we? I wouldn't bet my house on it, no, based off what we've seen. But I'll tell you this. Carson's taken a lot of heat, and it, it and deservedly so after the, the game against the Rams in particular. But don't get it twisted. He is still the best quarterback this franchise has ever had. Most talented and Let's remember a couple of those names we dropped a few minutes ago. A.J. Feely's, Ty and Coy Detmer, Bobby Hoying, Bubby Brister. There's been a lot of shit under center for this franchise. It took a while to find Carson Wentz. Kevin Cobb, I get, I get the McNabb years, I understand, but it's really hard to find a quarterback like Carson Wentz. Trust me, it is. Do you really want to punt on a guy? that you know has MVP-level ceiling after two games? Honestly, this could be a get-right game for Carson. It really could. But at the same time, it could also be where Joe Burrow gets his first NFL win. And this is the typical game that the Birds lose. It is. Rookie quarterback comes in, gets his first win against us. (laughs) That's just that's the way it happens. You know? Eagles-Bengals game before has gone to a tie. That was the one where Donovan McNabb did not know that games went to overtime because fucking hell. 
I think score-wise, Frank is about right on what I was going to say. And I thought about this, oddly enough, while I was in the shower last night. I don't know how many dudes are thinking about uh, picking football scores on a podcast while we're in the shower, but that's what I think of. And I went, man, like, should I be douchebag guy and go, like, should I pick my team? Should I pick us to lose just because we're 0-2? Let's see, like, hey, maybe I can, you know – be the guy, that, oh, I pick us to lose, and now we win, so I'm going to, you know, if I pick us to lose six weeks in a row, maybe we'll win six in a row. Fuck that guy, though. I don't want to be him, <laughs> okay? So I, I, I'm i rolling with 11, man. I'm rolling with 11. Give me the birds, 37-31. Uh, Frank went 31. 37-30. Give me the birds, 37-30. With trepidation to know that it could go into overtime or whatever. All hell could break loose. I think that Carson and Doug Peterson both understand what is at risk if this game is a loss. This game is a loss. It is not the media up there is going to get on you. Again, they're already asking Doug Peterson, why is Carson Wentz regressed in year five? And you can just you can tell Peterson's uncomfortable answering that shit. You can tell. He doesn't want to answer that. So imagine if you go out and you do lose to a franchise. I'm not talking about the talent. To a franchise, laundry, that has been less than awesome for two decades, for the most part. And again, I would argue, actually, the Bengals in the 2010s were one of the better teams in the league. Won a lot of games, been in the playoffs five straight times, or were. I know that's over now, but again... We know the perception of the Bengals. You lose to that, and a rookie quarterback, regardless of how much I love Burrow, and I do, if you go out after the way these last two weeks have been and you lose to that, man, get your popcorn ready, pour a strong one, and watch that press conference Sunday afternoon because it's going to be a gem, I promise you. I don't think that's the case, though. I think this team, this team performs better. It's much like the Flyers. I think it, I don't know, it's like a Philly mentality. We're better when our backs are against a wall. You know, it, it, I swear to God, sometimes it feels like we do this shit to ourselves just, just because, you know, I, I, I don't really believe that. I'm sure they're trying their best to win, but it, goddamn, we've been through this ringer so many times, haven't we? I think we come out in a shootout, in a track meet, we catch the Bengals, we go one and two, and we're on to a, an, an, an embattled 49ers roster next Sunday night, and we'll see if we can get to 500. But before we do that, we do have to get through Cincinnati on Sunday, and if not, holy shit, all hell's going to break loose up in Delco. What do you think? Give me your predictions for Sunday's game, birds Bengals. You can reach out to me at Greasepole Podcast on Instagram. Questions, comments, thoughts, anything of that, any feedback is better than no feedback. Subscribe, rate, and review. Every episode is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, much like this one. Uh, thank you to Frank again. Frank LaPlaca, host of the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Reach out to him. Follow him on Instagram at Cincy Bengals Pod. Subscribe, rate, and review his podcast on all platforms. Uh, show your love and support for him. It's it's he and I talked for uh, at length the other night about creating content and believing in what you do and and the tasks of going back and watching your 
your team lose on tape for the second time in a row to get ready for doing these podcasts. So, you know, get, you know, appreciate him coming on. And, and it's, it's nice to, you know, it's nice to have somebody in the community, you know, that supports you and I support him as well. So, uh, at Grease Paul Podcast is where you can follow me. Getting close to 300 followers, trying to get there. Why? I don't know. Just It's just a round number. So there is that. I will see you back here next time. Thank you so much for taking part in the ride. This has been the longest one we've done in a while, but it feels good because I had somebody to bounce stuff off to. It wasn't just my dumb ass babbling for over an hour about, uh, about, about stuff. So I will see you back here next time. Hopefully the birds will be one and two. Do not bet your house on it. Do not bet your car on it. Pour a strong one, pray if that's what you do, but throw your gear on and get ready to yell at the fucking TV because you got to. See you back here next time. As always, go birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Philly.